Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 106 with my friend, Jim Torito. I had to say that with gusto. Jim Torito is a musical prodigy, uh, wonderkind. I'm sure he would hate me saying all of this. Maybe he wouldn't, but Jim is is amazing, and he's got some really great stories. We actually talked for <laughs> like twice as long as this actual uh podcast you're about to hear maybe i'll do an uncut version some other time but uh jim is filled with amazing anecdotal stories and and has had a pretty remarkable life thus far and you can see more of him at jimtorito.com but he'll let you know that later and i don't want to keep you from the episode so i'll talk to you more about this after my interview with jim you and i have lots in common my request is sent would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? He helped me. Um, he helped me win. Okay, so I wrote a space opera. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's I've right. seen he, it twice. <laughs> yeah, you came to see my space opera. Mark was uh, part of the sound team for our premiere. Oh, nice. So yeah, at the crowfoot. At the crowfoot. Yeah, that's yeah. when I fuck man that night. <laughs> well, it's a perfect way to start the show, but it's a. Uh, I see your space opera, uh-huh. and uh, towards the end, I was getting a little tipsy, and I, <laughs> I think I texted you because you were like, let me know what you think, and I was like, oh, this one's awesome. Oh, I wish he was like, you know, I don't know, fucking dancing with his arms. I had some sort of fucking feedback. I'm sure it was annoying at best, but uh, I left that show, and my ankle twisted on the curb right outside. Oh, no. And I was in a boot for six months. Oh, no. <laughs> that's, that's how it works. I normally start out with how I know people. And I High school, right? So, yes. Kind of, The, the yes. short answer is yes. Mm-hmm. My first memory of you... <laughs> sounds like, sounds like a, a weird, admirable statement. I guess it is. Uh, I was in eighth grade, and we came over to watch a musical. And I don't remember what musical it was, but when I saw you the following year when I was in the high school, because that, that year I was in drama Wait, club. Wait, what year did you graduate? Uh, 2001. 2001. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So you would have been junior? I would have been a senior when you were a freshman? Yeah. Okay, Okay, so... Because Lil Abner was your last year? No, Lil Abner was the year after I left, so... So you would have been gone when I got to the high school. That's right. But you still existed in this this world of theater (laughs) at the high school, which is... That's funny to hear, because now I'm like, well, I don't know. Because Lil Abner was my freshman year. It was Mm -hmm. the last year at the old high school. Were you in the show? Yes and no. Okay. I quit Lil Abner. I got cast oh. as like the, the mayor, I think it was. And uh, Tice was all over me. Like, Oh, man. Uh, and to the point where like other kids that were like juniors and seniors coming up to me and being like, he's really just on your shit. And like I looking back now, I'm like, oh, he thought I had a lot of potential. And we like addressed it years later, but mm-hmm. uh, which is nice. But at the time, I was like not in a good place. And mm-hmm. I was like, fuck this guy. Mm-hmm. So I quit. And done a lot of quitting in my life. Done, uh, yeah, drawing those boundaries. And and, <laughs> and, and it is tough for kids to, <laughs> to realize they can push back on authority and it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, that's a lesson I continually learn. I'm a teacher. I've been a teacher for, geez, about 20 years now. And I... I I, I get I get a little hot under the collar oh, sure. as a teacher too, and uh, that's why I could never teach kids. 
Oh, yeah. I'll, I mean, I'll get into it with the kids sometimes. And every once in a while, one of them will push back on me in a way that makes me realize, holy shit, I'm the asshole here. <laughs> and it's so hard to admit it in the moment. Yeah. And, it, and especially, you know, uh, when part of what you believe it's your job to teach them is to respect authority. But then... You know, you know, the also the downside of this. Authority. Yeah. 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 The downside yeah. of that is also, wait, am I, is my job just to teach compliance? Yeah. When I was in college getting my teaching degree, there was uh, one moment of uh, just like a sort of turning point moment um, when I had, I had taken the basic skills exam that, you know, you need to take to get your teaching certificate. Yeah. And I got my results in the mail and I, and I pick them up and I'm opening and I'm reading them in the cars and I'm driving. And I turn on the radio and I, I get the, the thing that says, Oh, you've, uh, you've passed. You will get your teaching certificate. Congratulations. That's you're going to be a teacher. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, cool. One big headache out of the way. And I turn on the radio and it's classic rock station and they're playing Pink Floyd. We don't need no <laughs> edgy. All in all, you're just a, another brick in the wall, and that's that with you me. You start questioning your entire... Oh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it continues um, to this day, and because I still find myself in a position where I want them to... I want my students to blossom, yeah. to ask important questions. I also want order in my room. I want you to shut up and listen when it's time to shut up and listen. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's a fine line between like teaching them critical thinking skills, but also telling them to like shut up. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Be, and like sit there, you know, um, <laughs> kind of doubling back to the, where we started the conversation. The most important thing I'm, I started in high school and I moved to elementary school. I'll get into that story. Yeah. I'm working in elementary school doing general music right now, and I'm loving it. And I teach the kids, and I tell them that the most important lesson I can teach you as your music teacher that I hope you walk away with is good musicians are good listeners. Um, you know, and that's not just here. Good students are good listeners. Good friends are good listeners. Good teachers, too, have to be good listeners. So I put that spin on it, too. It's not just shut up and listen because I'm in charge. It's like, no. Yeah. Let's let's learn how to be good listeners. That's Listening's part important. of, you know, that's just part of a, a well-lived life. Yeah. J just to circle back, uh, I do want to get a lot into that aspect as well. But I want to go further back in time for a minute. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. a couple things, uh, some basics I don't know about you. Do you have siblings? I have six. There are six of us. I have five, but they're all way older than me. So what is way older? Who's the what's the shortest? Okay, so they they were all born boom 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 like one year apart, okay. and then I was born sixteen years later. Whoa! Yeah, yeah. I straight up asked my parents, "Was I an accident?" I have a billion questions. Oh yeah, I you know I straight up asked them, "Was I an accident?" And yeah. and my dad goes, "Oh no no no, you were very much planned." Like we got to the end, we had enjoyed being parents, and we uh, got to where the oldest one was, the youngest one was getting towards the end of high school and we were looking at what it was going to be like to be empty nesters. And we said, should we get a Vietnamese pot bellied pig or have another kid? And can't... opted for another kid. <laughs> yeah. And my dad goes, sometimes I think I should have got the pig. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so did you have, uh, I guess what is known now as elderly parents? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, they, you know, they were in their forties when I was born. Which, um, yeah, I guess 
I'm, I think about it from time to time because I'm coming up on the age that they were yeah. when when I was when I was born when they had me, and uh, yeah, my brothers and sisters all got married uh, around the same time and started having kids right away too. So I'm actually closer in age to my nieces and nephews yeah. than I am to my siblings. Do you recall feeling like a like pretty much like an only child growing up? Oh, very much, and um, you know. Uh, with an insane amount of privilege as well too because uh when they were all growing up um my dad was in medical school um they were living in the projects in chicago the seven of them in like you know an apartment the size of this room and you know just scraping to get by and uh they got through that. They, you know, and they went on, dad went on to become a physician and then a hospital administrator. So they went, they experienced it, uh, the whole economic spectrum. Yeah. And then by the time I was born, the family was very well to do. We lived out on a big spread in Clarkston. And, um, I mean, shit, at one point I had a pony. Like as a little kid, I had a fucking pony and I just That is had, the epitome of privilege, I think. Yeah, I had <laughs> no clue yeah. just how um you know, just how special and amazing that was because I, I gave no fucks. They they all grew up um they all went through like four H and all that and yeah, yeah. like got really involved in the farming, the raising the animals and all that. And I you know, by the time it got to me I wanted to take music lessons and practice piano and stay inside and watch cartoons and oh cool I there's love a, all of this there's a pony outside yeah they, they ended up getting rid of it and then the fun part was we had this big you know my dad considered himself a gentleman farmer so we had this big spread of land that the six of them used to tend to and uh, so then it became my privilege to tend to all of it myself as they all moved privilege out. in quotes I yeah think. yeah um. <laughs> I'm curious. You you said you're playing piano. You're like growing up oh, and yeah. stuff. Uh, do you have like a? And I don't mean this is like a slight to your parents, but do you oh, have yeah. like present parents? Or are you just kind of free to do whatever the hell you want at that point? Because oh, they've my... parented five kids. Oh, uh, throughout the whole thing. And well, yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, they were all kind of pretty well grown. Yeah. Uh, by the time I, you know, uh, so I very much. Uh, my mom was very present, okay. um, like super duper present to a point where even <laughs> still um, overlay protective. Yeah, still kind of <laughs> okay. have to push back, be like, yeah, mom. No, 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 no. Hang hang back, mom. I, I got this. But I also had these siblings that loved playing with me yeah. that loved. So I had it was like bonus parents uh, growing up. So I was. I was very much tended to, oh, right. and a lot of them, they all took music lessons, and uh, you know, one of them went on to be a musician as well. He was uh, the one that I was closest with, Johnny. Um, uh, the rest of the family went to Waterford schools. By the time I was born, they'd moved to Clarkston. Johnny went to Clarkston schools, and so uh, a lot of his former teachers were still there. Cliff oh, Chapman, um, uh, Grace Warren. Uh, the choir director, yeah. Cliff was the band director. And so they remembered him as kind of carving uh, a really impressive path for himself as being a just great student, lovable guy, good it's musician. a double-edged sword. Well, so yeah, gotta... it, it was, well, I was a very lovable guy myself, so <laughs> it, it didn't hurt me at all. And so uh, jumping 
uh, it, it was very uh, attractive to me to try and follow in Johnny's footsteps yeah. any anytime I could. Now, he played French horn, so I was like, oh, I got to play French horn. Uh, uh, he joined the Madrigal Choir. I had to join the Madrigal Choir and the Barbershop Choir and do the musical and whatever else Johnny did. What does that look like outside of like home, your social life and stuff growing up, adolescence and... Uh, tons of friends. Yeah, yeah, I just always was making friends through band or choir. I have one. It's a I good had, cruise to get in with. Oh yeah, <laughs> or the theater crowd. I um and I had one pal that is still my best friend to this day, David Belch, and uh, we just made friends because our moms were in choir together, and uh, also did Weight Watchers together. So as three year olds, we would share crayons and Star Wars toys and. Uh, uh, you know, just have epic bike riding adventures through the neighborhoods yeah. and stuff. And, you know, we're still best pals this day. Like, awesome. I assume I'm going to stand up at his wedding. If I ever get married, he's going to stand up at mine. We shared lockers every year in high school, even though we didn't have any classes together. Yeah. Um, well, except band. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, we stayed in touch. Through, we went to different colleges, but we'd keep partying at each other's houses and dorms. And then, you know, throughout college, we just kind of assumed, oh, yeah, you, we're going to keep hanging out, right? Yeah. Was um, college always on the radar? Oh, yeah. I was, um, again, you know, child so, of privilege. It's kind of expected. All my yeah, siblings. Yeah, imagine you have a medical doctor. You're going <laughs> to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, all my siblings went to college. Um, but, yeah, I went to U of M. Again, Johnny. The went, better school. Yep. John, <laughs> <laughs> certainly how I feel about uh -huh. it. The parties were always better at state. <laughs> But yeah, again, my brother Johnny went to Michigan, and I kind of followed in all his footsteps I could. Uh, he did the glee club there. So did I. Um, but then that's also where I kind of started carving my own path. I wanted to do everything possible in music at Michigan. I was part of the, the orchestra, the band. I joined the glee club. I joined... Um, the... You ever find yourself too, like, stretched? Uh, yes, <laughs> frequently frequently find my found myself very stretched i was taking 21 credits as well that's insane because i'm finishing a 16 credit semester and i want to shoot myself in the face oh so my i gosh. can't imagine well, 21. yeah and um well there's different kinds of rich families and i taught a country day for a nice long time when i got out yeah. of college that was that was my first job out of college i was there for 12 years i loved it so got to meet some extremely wealthy families and some and get to know them you know, there was sort of a breakdown, too. Yeah. You got families who were wealthy because trust fund, maybe uh, continued investments. Um, your investor. Lottery winners. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, your investor class. Yeah, yeah. That's that's sort of your 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 pinnacle uh, stuff. And then you got, you know, uh, executives. You kind of like your step down from, you know, these people that clawed their way to the top. They have a certain attitude that life is sort of competitive in, in a way that, uh, you know, every day is fighting to win or lose. And, yeah. and that passes on to the kids. And then there's like your doctor, lawyer, professional sort of class of maybe you get your upper echelon of that. And those are just like, they're still worker bees. They're well-paid worker bees, but they're worker bees. And they pass on that attitude. Not going to lie, those families were my favorite students. <laughs> um, I had, the, uh, like, investor class students never joined band because <laughs> yeah. it was too much work. Why am I going to do that? Like, yeah. you know, that's, 
I got to practice. You know, I'm going to get a Miss Trito's going to yell at me if I don't work. But, um, you know, your your worker bee kids, even the really well to do families, they come with this, you know, this insane work ethic. I would like to believe that that's what I brought to college when I was there. I wanted to program myself uh, to where I was, you know, constantly working, yeah. constantly. I was a composition major, so I wanted to constantly be writing. Um, when do you learn composition? Because that's, I mean, I've discussed this, and I don't think mm-hmm. people understand and respect enough that, like, reading and writing music mm-hmm. is another language. It's It's... In my mind, it's the equivalent of uh, not just learning like Spanish, where it's the same letters formulated different, but like learning Chinese, where it's like, these are all different characters, means different shit. And you got to like someone like you. I know if I go over this keyboard I'm looking at right now Mm -hmm. and I open up that Burt Bacharach songbook, you can just play what's on the page. Mm -hmm. And that's crazy to me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it absolutely is a graphic language. It's not even a fancy metaphor. That's literally what it is. Um, <laughs> I tell that to my students a lot, my elementary general music students too. Yeah. Um, and my beginning band kids too. Do you um, remember how old you were when you like, when I was st- so far along that you were? Yeah. Um, uh, my mom got me into when I was a little, little kid, she would let me take like acting classes and go to acting camp over the summers, like at Oakland university or, uh, you know, things that were, you know, just fun to do. But she and my dad both kind of realized early on that I had a natural aptitude for it. Like. This kid's a ham. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there was that, but like, also I could kind of like, you make you feel things. Yeah. I, I know deep down that I do have an aptitude for, uh, for performance and for, uh, making people feel things. Yeah. And I, that's what I bring to my music. And so early on I got some, uh, some music lessons as a very young kid. I took Suzuki violin, um, that didn't stick. It was too much practice. I just wanted to play and have fun with Dave, and we had, you know, Star Wars stuff to play with. So right on board with you there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then, like, when I was like eight-ish, I started noticing more and more. My friends were taking piano lessons. I'm like, I want to take piano lessons too. And almost immediately, as soon as I could, uh, kind of get my way around the keyboard, within a couple of years, I was wanting to make up my own songs. And then I joined band in middle school. And this is what really kind of got me into it. I made real quick friends with the other two trumpet players sitting next to me in band, Todd Bauer and Kyle Stout. Also, I hope this ends with a ska band. Yeah, <laughs> it did. It did. Did it really? I didn't play in. I didn't play in the ska band. But uh, when we got to college, Todd uh, was there with me, so and he funny. was in a band called Donkey Punch. Nice. Jumping all over Perfect. the place here. Oh, yeah. uh, what I wanted to do, my one of my first uh, things where I really decided, oh, I, I got to make this like my living. I got to just make writing music my life is when I wrote a trumpet trio for those two guys and me. Nice. Um, and we took it to solo and ensemble festival yeah. and people treated it like it was a real piece of music, even though I was you know, 12 years old. That's impressive. Yeah. And this <laughs> is right in the early days of when, you know, uh, you could start writing music on computers like 
like literally so you legit composed this out you're like okay this is this horns piece this is this horns piece and exactly you wrote it all out yeah wrote it all out at like, 12 years old at 12 years old and well, that fuck was you too Jim. yeah yeah no 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 and the fun part was it wasn't just that like you know i could make a solid piece of music and yeah. we could play it i loved doing that with my pals and I absolutely have. So Todd and I, and Todd and Kyle and I, we put together a brass quintet with some of the other older kids in high school. And, you know, we would get into the, the marching band stuff that, you know, that we were doing at school and the concert band stuff and the jazz band stuff that we could do at school. But we also had this little brass quintet going that was something we just made ourselves. And as people graduated, we'd replace them out. And I kind of deeply hoped that after I graduated, they would continue this tradition. They did for a couple of years. But being tight with those guys yeah. uh, gave me a whole new experience that couldn't be recreated by anything else in high school. Because, you know, we would go out and play gigs that, you know, we would play weddings. We would play the Knights of Columbus would bring us in and... Uh, uh, you know, just have us play for the Star Spangled Banner for the beginning of some ceremony or yeah. a board. One of our pals worked at Bordines and was like, hey, uh, they want you to play some Christmas songs. Uh, you guys want to come on out and play some Christmas songs at Bordines? We're like, fuck yeah. How much will you pay us? And they're like, oh, we'll give you guys a hundred dollars. Oh, yeah. And, I was, and, you know, we get done and we'd be like, fuck yeah, man. We got one hundred dollars. We got one hundred dollars. And we go get Slurpees and Todd's van. And those kind of experiences form friendship. Well, you've been in bands. Yeah. There is nothing like being yeah. in a band. That brotherhood or sisterhood or, or kinship yeah. that you get from being in band with guys, you have adventures that can't be recreated any other way. You when you're making the music together, like you've got to listen to each other and vibe on this psychic level that you can't do any other way. And you got to commit to each other in a way that you, yeah. you know, I love the, well, the yeah. I was just going to say the way you're describing this. It's, it's funny. Cause I can see that in the years that I've known you after all this, mm -hmm. this running theme of playing music with people is still like something that I think, is the the core of who you are it is the core of who i am actually my face yeah this is friend request my facebook <laughs> title says jim torito musician and solid friend <laughs> like i would love for that to be my epitaph yeah. whenever you know when i when i'm dead uh i'm still not sure what i want to do with my body when i get dead though i'm pretty sure i want to give it to science so I, I you know we'll uh we'll cremate you and then we'll put you in that old keyboard and and then no one will ever know. just put that on the air and jim torito <laughs> musician and solid friend um and that's really the thing that keeps me in music and that yeah. keeps me energized about music is the relationships i form with these guys and gals well, and yeah I, i'm curious if that played a role then because i'm wondering where you go from you know 21 credits this band that band this band mm -hmm. and then you're like also i'm going to teach and mm -hmm. like is that a is that a weird way to be like then i'll always have people to play instruments with because i'll have the students well again this goes back to my dad and uh the worker bee mentality yeah even the well-to-do worker bee mentality it, it, my dad's passed now is about four years on Sorry um and we i understood him and he understood me on some very uh, deep personal levels but we really did not see eye to lot, eye to eye on a lot of stuff, and I don't think he got what I was about as a musician in a lot of ways. 
so when it came time to pick a college major, he's, I was like, I want to be a composition major that like, he's like, good luck paying for college. I was like, I want to get a teaching certificate. And he goes, that's now we're talking. <laughs> he's like, you can, you can get employed with a teaching certificate. What do you think you're going to do with a composition degree? And so that was a driving part of my mentality. Got it. The deep down wanting to do right by my dad um, since he was putting up the money for college. I did end up having to pay him back all the money for college, too. I want to make that clear. Like, this was, <laughs> this wasn't just, like, paid for. It was a, I had a zero-interest student loan, which was still way better than a lot of people did. Which, but thankfully, we all have right now, as <clears throat> long as this COVID thing keeps happening. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, yeah, I'd spent, uh, I knew I had to pay that back, so yeah. uh, getting a real proper job was a thing. But also, just having the mentality that, music wasn't a real job was uh that's what i was just talking about when we started this like yeah this is this is something i can make a career out of but the music thing i've it's i've tried and failed and i'm like i don't have the discipline that someone like yourself does that when it comes to like actually sitting down and learning and and, well and and honestly like you know knowing how to read the notes on the page and having a music degree isn't necessarily the thing that makes you a successful professional in music. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of the people I play with now uh, that pay their way, they're, they play in like wedding bands or they're just constantly gigging or, um, you know, doing studio work or whatever. And that having the network that you got through college is helpful as far as that goes. But it's that, it's that consistency. Like, I, uh, I don't know. Do you know Aaron Bridgewater? Uh, sounds familiar, but he's, no. I think a year or two after you, but he was, he was a lead singer of this metal band that mm-hmm. did, they're like pretty successful. And I was talking to him about this whole thing. And cause he was telling me, Oh yeah, you know, every Saturday and Sunday I'd go down to Detroit and we'd practice like eight, nine hours every Saturday, eight, nine hours every Sunday. Yeah. And this is like when he's like 21, 22. Mm-hmm. And we get to a point where he's like, yeah. So, I mean, it just kind of happened for us. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, you could not, there was, there, I'm sure there was an amount of money, but like for the most part, there was not an amount of money you could pay me to sacrifice my weekends as a 21 year old. Mm-hmm. Fuck no. If you're like, Justin, <laughs> you just got to practice something and be like, uh, but I need to drink and try to get laid. And now I, I need to be clear about something else though. When I was in college, taking those 21 credits, joining all these other yeah. ensembles, that absolutely did not cut into my drinking and partying time. Oh, well, yeah. I absolutely it's built into that age. Carved out, <laughs> carved that out as a priority. Uh, you know, almost with a little bit of professional foresight too. Like I knew, I knew that like after college, I was going to need to maintain relationships with these people. They were going to be going out yeah. their separate ways, and if I wanted to keep writing music, I needed to make proper friends. So at uh, you know at a certain point, I made sure I knew everybody at the music school uh and that i was good pals with everybody at the music school expert Um, networker (laughs) yeah yeah well you can call it networking also but i just liked making friends yeah Um, which is i mean i guess also just kind of in my nature too i just like being friends with people um i i had the party house in college me and todd and a couple other guys in our fraternity um, the music fraternity, Phi Mu Alpha. We didn't have like a house house, but a bunch of us lived in a house and we were the music school party house. Nice. Yeah. So what, what does life look like then after college? You said you started a uh, country day or started a country day. That then, was, that was my first thing. And what bands and stuff are you doing outside of work? What bands was point? I doing? Like out- in your twenties? Cause, uh, I know, I mean, oh, we played is... together a couple of times, but that was, mm-hmm. 
this well is, into our 30s at that point. <laughs> this is uh, this is kind of cool. My first out of school side gig work was really in music theater. Okay. And on top of that, I was still composing. I was writing band music like for high school concert bands, college concert bands because again, those were a lot of my friends from college, yeah. a lot of my uh, but I I was composing concert band music, trying to kind of claw my way up the ladder in that realm and uh, I started conducting musicals. Okay. Like high school musicals. And so that my first uh, paying job after college with conducting with a baton was in a musical pit at Celine High School doing Pippin. And boy, oh boy, I loved it. <laughs> conducting a musical is very challenging. Like it takes all your skill as a conductor. You got to, you know, you basically you got to keep all the tempos. That's your job. Yeah, I was gonna, as a conductor. timing's got to be the most important thing. In the you got to cue everybody. You got to cue the people on stage. You got to yeah. get your pit orchestra together, and it's not just like when you conduct a, a, a high school band concert. You conduct uh, you know a handful of songs. Each of yeah. them are anywhere from like three to eight minutes. But when you conduct a three hour long show, like that's a different <laughs> level. That's a different order of magnitude. So I got the bug for it, and I loved being part of theatrical productions and doing musicals, and so I started getting really busy doing that. And um, it afforded me a chance to, you know, just hone my chops, Uh, not only as a a conductor, but as a a pianist. Uh, And um, at the same time, I was also trying to get some other bands going, I tried a few that never got out of the basement. Um, I've been in a lot of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, um, just it's so hard to get three, four, five, six folks to agree to yeah. a set list, to agree to a, we're going to commit to getting this good together. Uh, we're going to practice this much. Um, can I Can I yeah. bounce off that idea? Because that's, and, and shift the lens and segue here. Uh, I'm gonna butcher the name. I apologize. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daedalus two. No. How yeah. Did, yeah. Did yeah, I yeah. say it right? Yeah. 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 Yes. You got it. Um, this this rock opera, this space rock opera. Uh huh. There's a lot of people involved. Yeah. So you're. I, I'm just. That's what I'm thinking about when you're telling me like it's hard to get those people. And I was like, yeah, that is the reason. Like all my shit solo stuff. Because especially the older you get, the worse it is. Because people are married and kids and. They move oh, away, gosh. and it's just so difficult to like. Let's nail down this time, and how do you do that? First of all, composing that, like mm-hmm. writing that. Where does that idea come from? Um, and and what is that experience like? Because that it's great. I love. I, I was I love seeing it. But then, yeah, where do you get these people that are going to come in and be able to, you know, bring that idea to life as a group and commit to that? You know what. Let me give you lightning round life story that gets yeah. you there from right yes. where, because actually it, it ties in. Um, yeah, like I said, I was I had been composing the band music. I was even having some success there, like getting some stuff published. One piece played at Carnegie, but I also had this music theater thing going where I'm conducting a lot and loving it, and I'm starting to get the itch. Like, oh man, I should just write a fucking musical. I should write musicals. You know, I that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do with my life. Yeah. I I made it out to I, I went out to Broadway a bunch of times just on like spring break or school trips that you know we were doing educationally with the kids and 
you know, as I was doing that, I, I, I'd watch and some of my other friends from college were still out there and I'd, I'd go watch their shows and chat with them afterwards. I'm like, Oh my God, this, that's me. That's what I want to do. That's the kind of music I want to write. Like concert music's a little like, I don't know if you, if you write a cool concert music composition for orchestra or band, you'll be invited to a wine and cheese party later and you'll have to hobnob with, you know, yeah. concert music folks yeah. and, and talk <laughs> about erudite situations. And, I can do that. I just don't enjoy it. And environments um, I would not fit in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, part of me would enjoy being part of like the the total rock scene. But I also knew at that point in my life, like I'm, yeah, I'm not a convincing member of the the rock scene. <laughs> yeah, I I have way too many shirts and ties like yeah, to yeah. to pass. I'm I I, I I'm the man. You know, that everybody else is rebelling against. So, no, that, that, but music theater, I can, I can get into the rock and roll thing. I can get into the concert music thing. I can tell really cool stories. I can be funny and I can make all this music with my friends, you know, my friends that are on the stage, my friends in the pit and just being part of a show is its own party. You know, it's a lot, it's a shit ton of work. And I had built up a network of, of friends and coworkers, you know, over doing all these different high school community theater, even, you know, some regional theater stuff. 12 years into teaching at Country Day, I had paid off my student loan finally. And, yeah. uh, and I was like, y'all, you know, I'm, I'm jumping ship. I'm going to New York. I, I need to be absolutely clear to anybody who's listening. I had a wonderful experience at Country Day. I left on absolutely great terms. But uh, so the fact that I'm an elementary school teacher now does not mean I'm a disgraced (laughs) high school teacher. It means uh, I jumped ship and went to New York to chase my uh, fame and fortune in the music theater world. Uh, I had already written one musical and they premiered it at Clarkston and I got to work with Tice on that. And we it was cool. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get it published it was the calling card I could bring with me to New York when I got out there. But looking back on it, it's, uh, it's jokes that have not aged well. Um, <laughs> uh, having learned and grown uh, and developed new attitudes about gender roles and uh, yeah. and uh, and things like that and and cliches and and stuff. Uh, I I look back on it, and I cringe a little bit. Yeah, but some of my favorite movies from the '90s cannot be shown now. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. It, it wasn't terrible. In fact, you know, there was a there was a lot to love about it, but it's the kind of thing where I, I yeah. yeah, right. But when I got to New York, I hooked up with some of my former students and some of my other friends and got to work writing another musical about an all gay boy band. Now I'm straight, but like, you know, this I heard about this concept and I'm like, I have to run with this. <laughs> like I would love the shit out of writing these songs. Like all these boy band songs. So I became yeah. a, a, a huge student of boy band stuff. And then while I was in New York also, I, um, I tried to do as much work as I could there. I, you know, I got work as an arranger. I got a little bit of work as, uh, you know, a music director for school shows. Um, and I'd get involved with shows that were in development. So you got, you know, your pinnacle is Broadway and then you got your off Broadway. You got off, off Broadway of, you know, shows that are kind of like real shows, but like, eh. but then like 
after that, there's like this base of the pyramid yeah. of all these people that come out with their awesome ideas. Shakespeare in the park in New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. More like, um, uh, you've seen Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah. yeah. yeah the uh, Dracula, the musical. I love that. That I song love... will get stuck in my head. Yeah. Oh my God. So and the idea of it. Most of the theater that's happening in New York at any is given that. moment is that. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, I tried to get as busy as I could being part of that which was humbling in a lot of ways because like I came at it thinking oh, I've written a musical I'm a I'm a concert composer I've got uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, I've got all these years of experience and then like you know to see a bunch of other kids that came out there with their A game total A game and to know that they're competing for the same spots I am yeah. but we you know it's it's a friendly competition we're all kind of encouraging each other and being like damn that's a well-written song damn you really got under my skin with with that ballad Ooh, wow what did you do with the time changes in that one wow this is like totally blowing my mind so um just seeing the caliber of, of songwriters and stuff that were that are clawing their way up the ranks in the music theater world out mm -hmm. in new york was was humbling and exhilarating to be part of. I wrote my musical while I was out there. We got a chance to put it up at 54 Below, which is a uh, uh, very coveted cabaret venue. You've heard of the old Studio 54? Yeah, I was going to say, what is this, the the room underneath the studio? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, it got shut down because, you know, cocaine. Cocaine and sex, man. Cocaine what? and sex, but, you Throwing know. Throwing an AIDS pandemic, uh, <laughs> an epidemic, it's, yeah, it's not great. <laughs> so, um, but uh, the Broadway community sort of, like, uh, absorbed that venue and turned it into this um, you know, coveted spot to launch your new material. That's cool. And I was really, really convinced we could run with that. Like I could, and we even had some decent professional contacts that were interested in looking at it. That's around the time my dad started getting real sick. Um, like real sick. Like I went home for Christmas and I thought it was going to be my last Christmas with him. So I was like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm just getting to this point where I was making about as much as it took to live on in New York, just yeah. from all the scattered work I was doing and uh, the connections I was making. Uh, but I kind of made a choice that was like, all right, I need, I, I don't want to be living in New York when dad goes. Um, so I moved home the day after uh, we premiered at 54 below and uh and this is after like a week of zero sleep and, and, and my parents picked me up after the show and uh, they picked me up from the airport and I'm telling them all about the show. I'm like, Oh, this is, this is blah, blah, blah. This is blah. And my mom's like, Oh, okay, that's great. Um, you know, we really need the, the bushes trimmed when you get home. <laughs> Dad can't do that anymore. So, and, and the bushes are really looking gangly. I'm like, uh, yeah, I, I really need to sleep first. She's like, and she starts tearing up like you you not understand how badly I need these bushes trimmed. And I'm like, do you not understand what just happened to me? Like I was just on top of the world, yeah. like like an hour, like 10 hours ago. Talk about your reality check. there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so going back to sleep in the bed that I hadn't slept in since high school, yeah. uh, was a precipitous emotional drop waking up the next day with zero employment uh 
uh, opportunities. Michigan, I had been gone in New York for one year, and my Michigan contacts had more or less dried up. So I was like, hey, can I work with you on this, that, this, that, this, that? And you're like, oh, we got somebody else, but uh, we'll keep you in mind. It is May, and it is Mental Health Month, and I am happy to be partnering with Wellbeing Brewing, who's partnering with Giving Kitchen. So every time you purchase a Wandering Isles IPA, it's a tropical IPA, it's great for this warm weather we're having, uh, you can scan the QR code on the side of the can, and it'll take you to Giving Kitchen, uh, an organization that is helping any of the food service workers that might be out there struggling financially, Maybe it's medical bills, maybe it's something else. And they also provide resources for mental health, which is uh, the big thing we want to talk about, right, for Mental Health Month. And I'm really excited that they're doing this because that's obviously a topic that means a lot to me. And anytime that I can partner with somebody that is doing something about that, I am overjoyed to do so. So if you guys want to help make an impact, check out Wandering Isles, a tropical IPA. It is a non-alcoholic tropical IPA. You can get it from wellbeingbrewing.com slash friend request. Go there right now and save 10% and raise awareness for mental health for food service workers. Really amazing what they're doing. Thank you. Wellbeingbrewing.com slash friend request. Enjoy the rest of the episode. What were the, did you get feedback, reviews, responses to your show in New York? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, basically, um, the the thing was the people loved the songs, people loved the concept, but they said, um, you know, the script wasn't quite ready for prime time, and um, I couldn't be the one to fix it myself. Uh, it, was, it was a story of these uh, four gay men and one straight man who, uh, who came together to form a band, the world's biggest gay boy band, and it wouldn't have been a appropriate for me to be the one to tell that story yeah okay so i kept looking for uh writers gay writers who would work on it with me and i worked with several and just kept uh fizzling out just uh it was a project that kind of kept coming and going but i came home and i I was proud to say i didn't move home because i was broke like a lot of people do when they do their little adventure. And then he's like, oh, no, I ran out of money, so I had to go home. That wasn't me. I still had money saved up when I came back. And even some people still calling me for work that I could do remotely when I came back. But I had no employment prospects here in Michigan. And I did not want to go back to teaching. And uh, I quickly went broke here in Michigan. Uh, and, And I was just dealing with dad, too. Yeah. He was on this steep slide with dementia, and it was it was hard to watch, and and it was hard to watch mom cope or not cope. Um, she was really extending herself, doing everything she could to take care of him, make sure she you know he the doctors were you know the right doctors were he was going to all the visits. Did you and, feel like that fell on you? To no, I volunteered and, okay. and, and I'm also lucky in that my siblings, you know, I got all those siblings, yeah. they were all very much hands-on okay. with it too. Um, you know, this is a part of, this is a chapter of life that everybody goes through. You lose your parents, yeah. you know. Well, and it feels like a, mm-hmm. uh, a crossroads too, where you're in New York, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's like that. What if, like what would have happened if you would have stayed there? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you would also be sacrificing the, the last time you, you have with your, your father. Oh, yeah. So it's 
that that seems like one of those huge crossroads yeah, <laughs> yeah it was right about then i started drinking at the boat bar regularly <laughs> like i became a, where you're heading after this uh <laughs> yeah where i'm now heading after this uh, so watching him and uh watching mom deal with him was very much present in my mind and one of the kind of places i could retreat to was science fiction um I, yeah I, you know, I already know where this is going i'm, I'm getting yep, excited there we go there we go so, 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 so. you asked so wait, wait we got time to record so <laughs> so um my way of processing death and getting i uh, getting myself you know keeping myself busy as a composer yeah. was to create this science fiction story about space probes facing the the, the end uh one of my nephews like uh, also very clever writer joe torito so he and i got it in our mind we wanted to kind of make a story something and the first song we came up with was the first hook we came up with was you know, kind of related back to my my spending so much time at a dingy dive bar. We wanted to write it. We wrote a country song called Black Hole. And the hook goes, gotta find me a big black hole of dying. And we just imagined this character who's like a space probe, just kind of like floating around the cosmos, sort of gravity's plaything. The stars have all burned out at a certain point. There's no more life anywhere. Maybe he was part of a team of other space probes who had their adventures together, but uh, they've all gone, died in various ways. So we thought of various ways that these sort of immortal space probes who yeah. nobody thought would ever die, um, died. And uh, yeah, yeah. And he was right there with me. He processing is his grandpa too. He was named after Joe. Yeah. His, my dad's name was Joe and he was Joe. And so he, so he was feeling the loss pretty acutely as well and uh your dad hung around long enough for to see the show at the crowfoot nice so he he was able to see that but like uh uh he liked parts of it but he was just kind of like being polite for a lot of it too he's like i don't understand this but sounds like you're having fun yeah. i was like okay cool you know and when you're a composer when you're a music theater composer the way you make your way when you make a name for yourself is you have to write a musical so you have to write musicals, plural. Yeah. So I'd, I'd done and a couple, and this was this I was. was say, how many have you written? That was that's the third one that I've completed. Okay. But no, we. Uh, you had asked me how do I get all these people together for it? Yeah. Uh, money. <laughs> okay. Money. No, I um, uh, I worked as a dishwasher. It, you know, like I said, when I got home from New York, I I went broke pretty quick because yeah. I thought maybe I could you know make something happen with the music thing, and that's you know. You know, difficult. At yeah. Best. yeah. Um, I picked up. I played dueling pianos. I played in a wedding band. I still play with the wedding band. Uh, the dueling pianos thing, man. It feels like a really big trend that has kind of just died out. Uh, yeah, and in the wake of all that, there's a lot of cannibalism in that industry. Like um, people eating their young, and people, well, like not literally, but like <laughs> guys stealing gigs from each other. Uh, uh, companies that kind of go to war with each other over various venues and then venues who's just kind of know that it's a 
dying breed. It's too bad. I met some really great guys doing yeah, that. Yeah, because that's the, I mean, JD's Key Club has been gone for a while. Oh, the Big Bang, God. I think, is, I don't even know if they're in business anymore. And they had locations in Nashville and LA and Florida. and It still exists. But yeah, I mean, as with the pandemic totally oh, wiped bet, out. Yeah like uh, their ability to do that so when when do you decide to that like need to get a teaching job again um after one year of dishwashing okay. yeah, yeah. That, I mean, <laughs> yeah i showed up my first day of dishwashing and the uh uh the the chef goes uh you know i just need to make it clear we don't need you i don't want you drinking no doing drugs no none of that and i'm like bro why do you think I took a job as a dishwasher? <laughs> and I was like, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna play along." And I show and I showed up to the first one. I'm like, "I'm not gonna smoke pot before I uh, before my shift. I'm gonna I'm not in my first shift. Holy shit! I got my ass handed to me. Like, man, work dishwashing at a fancy restaurant on a dinner shift. Yeah. Those dishes just keep coming, it's man. Consistent. Yeah, yeah. You uh, um and uh. Uh, it's a great way, and if you're a piano player, washing dishes at a fancy restaurant is a great way to burn, bash, lacerate, dislocate, um, yeah, why, why? amputate any one of your fingers at any given moment. So I was like, absolutely not. I cannot be stoned and do this job. So anyway, sorry. Well, let's just get why why wash dishes. And just from a restaurant point of view, there's so many other jobs in the... I had... Well, like I said, when I came home from New York, it was a precipitous emotional drop. And I was yeah. living in my parents' house in Clarkston. Yeah. You know, the whole point was to be on call for dad. And so, I, you know, I wanted to be working someplace close by the house um, with enough... Not flexi- important enough so where you could just leave. If you exactly, know, exactly. Sure. And, you know, same thing like, uh, you know, if I had music work that took me away. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I wanted to be available for my music and for dad. Um, and, uh, but I also felt the need to hide out. Um, like you said, uh, when I graduated high school, I was still somewhat of a presence there. Like I, I kind of made a name for myself in high school, like, and not just in the school walls, but like I said, with that brass quintet going all around Clarkston, being you know mini mr music of clarkston a lot of people know who you are yeah 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 yeah. i can can attest to that yeah i'm that's true that's true (laughs) i say that with a little bit of pride because i think i made people smile and i think a lot of people had high hopes for me um and i know that a lot of people knew that i had done good work at country day i had written this musical that was premiered in clarkston i was had been in new york for a year was on the up and up doing good things And uh, now I'm back in Clarkston living in mom and dad's basement. And uh, I did not. So it was just a. Like I could have made way more money as a bartender or a server. Yeah. But number one, I had done that as a college job and I was not good at it. So I did not want to be a server again. Well, was there just a sheen of like shame about your situation? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's hard to admit that it was shameful, but it was, it felt yeah. shameful. Well, I have like, friends right now that like should have moved back home a decade ago, but they're like, you know, there's some level oh, no, no, no. you just associate it with failure, and and it's yeah. very strange. Uh, you know, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I get no. I I'm just like I was just saying, like I get it. It's just well, yeah. Like, and when I was in New York too, like you know, that was the constant uh, conversation between me and all of my artist yeah. friends out there. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, this is a struggle. This is hard, but you only lose if you quit. Yeah. You, and that's it. Like you only lose if you give up. And I had felt like, 
you know, that's what the other reason I felt like I had to keep writing and had to keep doing this. Cause like, you know, I may have moved home from New York, but I was not giving up on, yeah. you know, being a composer, being, you know, uh, carving my way as a musician. I could have made more money as a waiter or, or whatever, yeah. but I did not want to have the experience of like, oh, Jimmy, wow, we remember you from high school. Yeah. You were doing awesome stuff. You were, weren't you in New York? I heard you were doing blah, 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 blah. That's great. Yeah. Could I get more ranch with this? You know, <laughs> yeah. that that's not something I could have stomached. Very familiar, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I came back from L.A. and waited tables. Yeah, I didn't know if like it meant that my ego was too outsized or that my shame was too great, but... Like for, that wasn't an option for me. Yeah. But what's ironic is I was uh, I watched dishes at Andiamo's Clarkston on mm-hmm. the uh, right by the expressway yeah, there, yeah. and the back door where I would step out to have my smoke breaks, covered in food boogers and shame, backed right up to a, a pediatric clinic where uh, families would would roll up families of people our age, girls I went to high school with. <laughs> would come up with their, their strollers and, and, their, and their toddlers and, and be there for their appointment. And I'd be out there covered in food boogers and shame, having a cigarette, looking at them, being like, hey, Jenny, ah, how, how's it going? Oh, oh, Jim, wow. Um, I heard you, oh, uh, good, good to see you. Research it apart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's your kid? Cute. Nice SUV. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're doing dishes. You do. Uh, you do the rock opera. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how did I get? Oh, yeah, uh, get money. Yes. Because yeah. I had to get teaching. Yeah. One year of that, I was like, no, I got a teaching certificate. Man, I can't be doing this. I was making minimum wage too. So I mean, yeah. just like that. That taught me a lot. Do you get back in teaching before your dad passes? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I did. First school I worked at was part time. Um, it it really didn't go well. I don't need to name the school here, but it just it wasn't a good fit. Yeah. I actually like left in the middle of the year, and fortunately, that's right around the time when dad when dad left, and so I was very fortunate to just kind of be at home with him, unemployed, not worrying about stuff, just focused on dad. Yeah. Um, and I and I'm I'm real glad I was. Uh, it was tough. But yeah, I had been working and I had, uh, uh, you know, a proper grown up job. And so I had a little bit of money socked away that I could use on this, uh, you know, because prior to that, I, uh, you know, just been working minimum wage. And boy, oh boy, like that was around the time of the 2016 election when Bernie Sanders was just kind of coming into the national spotlight. Oh, boy, I started riding the Bernie train hard. I still it still makes me so sad. We. That yeah, we, yeah, we don't need to go all the way into that. That's another podcast. That's a whole <laughs> a different podcast. But uh, it gave me, uh, you know, a sensitivity for people who do work minimum wage. And it's like, wait a second, there's no way to catch up. There's no way to get ahead. Yeah. Like you're just constantly in debt and with no way out. And you know, what are you going to do? Work more hours? It's the American dream, Jimmy. Oh gosh, <laughs> you know, you work more hours that. You just got, you know, that costs you more money too. That keeps yeah. you from getting more pay. Some Anyway, so, uh, so I wound up going back to a teaching job that afforded me a little bit of financial cushion, but also like after dad passed, mom said, you know what? 
you've been a superhero through all this. I want to help you make this happen. So, uh, you know, whatever you need to make this happen, you can pay me back. And just, just like with my college loan, yeah, yeah. she's like, I know you need this money up front. I know you don't have the money up front, but I'll pay, I'll pay up front and you can pay me back. And I did. Um, so we did our Crowfoot show for, actually, I even had, um, before mom ended up giving me any money for, for the show, the Crowfoot thing I, I did without her help, um, Jeff Devey. Uh, another friend of ours from high school had just stayed in touch with us and, um, he's like, Hey, what are you working on? Can I support you? What can I do to support you? I'm like, I need $356 to make this Crowfoot show happen. I have the rest. I will pay. And he's like, I'd like to invest in this. I'm like, theater is a terrible investment, Jeff. I'm going to give you a portion of this back and you are going to lose the rest. I need to make that clear up front. And it's like, I need 356. And he's not, like, not yeah. that much. And, uh, you know, cause I, I just needed to pay the sound guy, yeah. needed to pay the venue fee. Um, I needed to pay a couple of the musicians in the group because they had to be music readers and so yeah, people that have to play that kind of thing don't work for free. Yeah. So they've worked minimum wage for me, but uh, still, you know, had to buy, you know, just a cheap handful of like costume things. Yeah. And then, uh, I loved the costume. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, so putting on that show, I got a little bit of help. We made well, a little bit back, you know, probably a third of what it costs to put it up. Yeah. We made that back. Um, and that gave us enough impetus to want to, uh, you know, we got a great response. 150 people came. You came. You yeah. loved, you had fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, and, and dad was still around to see that one. And um, mom was there to see it too. And, and th it was very exciting for them as well to see that, you know, I could still make it happen. And a lot of these people were friends of mine I had made through the shows I had done in Michigan. And just like the, the theater work I'd, I'd done out here. But then to kind of taking it to the next level, we put it up at Planet Ant. That's what required an actual substantial investment. That was a $10,000 show. But we went whole hog with the costumes because like, you know, space, space robots. We got, uh, I paid every actor. I wanted to make sure every actor was paid because again, I just survived a minimum wage existence. Yeah. And I know that that's what they were doing. So I'm like, no, I mean, I didn't pay them a fortune, but I'm like, like no, nobody's volunteering. We're, yeah, we're gonna make this happen. So we got to run for a couple weeks doing that. We made back half on that, and so we made back five thousand dollars. So um, took me another solid year to pay back the uh, the remaining five. Yeah. But I was able to do that because I had a teaching job. Yeah. So how did uh, so we're like hopefully <laughs> knock on wood winding down this pandemic. So obviously, as a teacher, that that's that's whole thing, and I can't Ugh. even with, with music as well. But um, I'm wondering how you were affected by that in the way that, like we mentioned many times, you playing music with people, mm -hmm. especially out, mm -hmm. <laughs> is like part of who you are, mm -hmm. and that didn't exist for the last like two years. Yeah. So how how did that work at, uh, during that time? Well, yeah. Or what was your coping making the, strategy? <laughs> making, uh, go, <laughs> kind of layering the story on top of itself here too. For the rock opera, yeah, I needed to have a keytar. 
Yeah. So I had to. That's one of my favorite parts with the wig oh, and man. the guitar. Oh, it's yeah. It's just perfect. I needed to have a guitar because there's a very. That's one of your profile pictures, too, I think. There's a very Flash Gordon <laughs> element to yeah. the show. So yeah, we were. The music style is very much that 80s synth pop kind of thing. Yeah. So I needed a guitar. Ordered one, didn't get it, didn't get it. You know, got, got got called by the Korg factory. Like, you're never gonna get it. Just just give up all hope. But then they're like, No, uh, we have one in stock. Do you want it? Do you want red, black, or white? I'm like, Red. And uh, the day of my dad's funeral, I took delivery of my guitar. So it was like there's this sort of like chapter turning. Later that day, like I said, I was a uh, days that end in Y regular at the boat bar. And one of the bands that played there was this group, Static. I'm still playing with them. Fucking love those guys. And again, just like, you know what it's like when you commit to a band and you commit to each other, you fucking lay down in traffic for each other. Um, But I just showed up to one of their shows one night and with my keytar i'm like guys i have a keytar yes is it okay if i sit in they're like um yeah and uh after after doing that a couple times they're like just fucking join the band dude like uh our our guitar player's leaving i love the idea of this this barfly coming up with a keytar i mean like you guys mind if i'm uh just go so So, I mean so i got i got busy working with them yeah they were they're the group that kind of like I've been the most involved with. I've also played like weddings and stuff um, with another uh, wedding band, the Blue Water Kings. They, they, uh, they've kept me pretty busy during the summers as well. Um, but then pandemic hit. The pandemic shut us down like the day before we were supposed to play the St. Patrick's Day party. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, makes sense. and uh, the guys in Static and me were, uh, they were mad as fuck. I was like, no, dude, come on. Like, there's a deadly contagious disease floating around. <laughs> Suck it up and, like, stay home for a couple weeks. It's just going to be a couple weeks, right? Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll be fine. <laughs> I had a dueling, I had a, I had a, like, a solo gig, too, that I had uh, uh, set up for myself in, like, Kingston. I, 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 uh, I took myself out of that one. I, I called the bar owner. I was like, I, I can't come like I have a tickle in my throat and I'm pretty sure I got it from one of my kids and it's probably this. It turned out I actually really did have COVID. Oh shit. Uh, I didn't get like, I mean, I don't know, but I mean, it was kind of like before everybody really knew what it was, yeah, yeah. but I was right then at the beginning and I like I ruined my fucking spring break, but like, you know, not going to lie for the first month or so of the pandemic, I was still living in mom's basement. We hadn't sold the house yet. She had moved out into her condo. I was still employed, though. I was yeah. still working, but I was working from home. And you know that joke in office space where they say, hey, uh, yeah, I probably only really do 15 minutes of real work a day. <laughs> um, that that hit home hard that, because that's what like, I do. <laughs> that hit home hard because like. I would teach my class, teach, quote unquote, my classes online. But basically the first part of it, I wasn't trying to, we weren't trying to be live with the students. They're like, just record a lesson and put it online. And so the kids can have it, you know, maybe once a week or so, we'll have you actually do an interactive Zoom with them. We'll have our teacher meetings, but nope, just record your lessons and, and put them online. And then do, I, and I worked 15 minutes a day and that, yeah, I was like, wow, this, why that truly is what I got going. I don't know. I recorded some fun videos, but still I'm like, this is not really teaching, but woohoo. 
I'm waking up at uh, noon and staying in my jammies all day. But so and still not getting only, paid. <laughs> but not only are you on the on your the social side of that, you're not doing your gigs. That's also money you're not getting. In. Yeah, that's... but it's the bars were closed, so that's money I was saving. That's fair. There's that's a fair um, point. There's um. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and I'm no stranger to doing the Blues Brothers uh, kind of situation where you make X amount of money and you drink X plus one amount of money. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's um, funny. Yeah. I mean, I missed okay. some of the gig money, yeah. but like, you know, in certain pockets of the country where they're uh, less interested in what the CDC has to say, there was still work to be had. I.e. So, the boat bar. I.e. the boat bar. <laughs> Ortonville is dark red Trump country, yeah, and yeah. God bless them. They still want to hear their rock and roll on weekends. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I partook. Yeah. You know, you part of me was conflicted about it too. But you know, like, do I show up to my gig in a mask? And you know, I, I did show up to the first gig in a mask. And like, people would look at you like, "What the fuck are you doing with that thing on? You get that off." You know. So. Um, uh, I just kind of kept my opinions to myself and played my rock and roll and collected my bucks yeah. and paid my <laughs> tab and, you know, kept scratching the itch. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't get hit as hard That's by the good. pandemic as, as a lot of people did. That's good. Um, and now you're you're still doing that and teaching's going well. and Teaching's, yeah. Do you yeah. have a, anywhere, uh, like, do you have a website or anything where people can see some of the, like, the space opera, the yeah, some of the stuff that you've done. Uh, JimTorito.com. Okay. Yeah, and actually, uh, you know, funny you bring that up. I I wish we had done this interview maybe a month from now because I'm going in this week. It's not going to be out until then. Oh, okay. Well then, <laughs> hey, uh, go to the hey everybody, go to the newly revamped JimTorito.com. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, I'm good. Did I not cover anything you want to talk about? No, I talked a lot. I talked a lot, dude. Well, and they can hear you even more at jimtorito.com. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, and I'll link to that in the in the show notes and everything. That was fun, though. That was fun. Hey, <laughs> thanks for letting me off. just tell my life story. Yeah, I'm going to take those off. Yeah, no, I appreciate you doing it. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? All right, you just listened to my interview with Jim Torito. I still have the gusto. Uh, I was so nice to sit down with Jim and talk to him. And of course, he noodled around on my keyboard right when he came in here because that is, uh, I think, his instrument of choice. But really, you could give this guy any instrument and he'll figure it out. I don't know if he would, uh, I don't know if he'd say the same thing, but I've seen it in person. And, he, you know, he's one of those people that, as a musician, it's infuriating for me, which, uh, you know, is envy, really. But to see somebody be able to pick up um, just music in general so easily, right? And we discussed that a little bit. Reading music is is literally a visual language that you learn. And it's, uh, God, it's, it's something that, you know, they say it's never too late to learn a language. Uh, I did Duolingo for months. I didn't learn anything. I retained nothing. But... Learning to read music, that is tricky. I can transcribe music, I cannot read it. Um, but that's, yeah, what what a dream. If you have kids right now, teach them music. If nothing else, they can always get gigs doing studio stuff or, I don't know, choir teacher, 
jam band, they will always have a fallback plan if they can read music. That is 100% true, I promise. So, uh, yeah, it was just really great hearing from Jim, and I love the... I love how intimately he talks about his his father. It's always funny to me when people refer to mom and dad as mom and dad instead of my mom and my dad. Uh, you know, they're speaking to you as if you're kind of part of that family. And it, it used to be awkward for me. And now I feel like it creates more of a sense of intimacy with the person. Um, like they're sharing that experience with you by not throwing the word my before it. Everyone I've talked to about it, though, says they don't even know they do it. Um, it's not an intentional thing. But I picked up on it, and and I was just, uh, yeah, I just liked hearing it. And you guys, if you do get a chance, uh, Daedalus, Daedalus, Jimmy, I told you I can't say that word. <laughs> Daedalus 2, his uh, space rock opera is amazing. And just head over to jimtorito.com. You can listen to all his fun stuff or find links to his fun stuff his uh, all-gay boy band musical, and and so much more. So I, I'm so appreciative. Thank you, Jimmy, for coming on here. And thank you to all of you for listening. Special thanks to all of the Patreon members. I finally got those t-shirts in the mail for those of you that are celebrating the 100th episode with me. Thank you so much for sticking around. It's been over a year now that some of you originals are have been, have been here with me. So thank you. Um, Michelle, Andy, you guys are fantastic. Kara, Mandy, Erica, Katie, uh, the list goes on. I really appreciate you guys so much. Thank you, Dustin. I'm going <laughs> to, I don't want to go through everybody, but I should because I love you guys. If you want to become a Patreon supporter, head over to patreon.com slash friend request pod. It's a dollar a nine a month. Uh, you know, this show cost me at minimum like 20, 30 bucks to put out. And that doesn't include any of my time. So anything you want to do to support, I always appreciate. And thank you to Talia Dalton for the theme song and summer series right around the corner. Very excited about that. So I will talk to you guys soon. Okay. Bye-bye. I love you.